This morning's Bible reading comes from Hebrews chapter 12, and you can find that on page 1214 of the Church Bibles. (coughs) Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. How you going? Thanks. Good morning. How you going? Great to see you all this morning. Um, is your life unshakable? Is your life unshakable? If you've been paying attention to the news, you'll know that there's some buildings in Sydney <laughs> that aren't safe to live in, that have a few cracks in them. A few high-rise apartments, a few factories uh, that not only have leaks and cracks, but apparently they're sinking. 
And I imagine if there was an earthquake, uh, you wouldn't want to be in them or even near them. Residents have reported being exhausted, angry, and of course, by the experience, uh, they're calling the experience an absolute nightmare. Thankfully, no one's been injured yet, and we hope that remains the case. But it's a real and haunting story, isn't it? But it's also a really helpful metaphor to think about your own life. Is your life unshakable? Or are there cracks and leaks? What are you building your life on? Is the life that you're living unshakable? At the end of this passage, we're warned. It says, verse 25, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. And the whole of the book of Hebrews, you might remember that first verse in the past, God spoke to our forefathers in various ways at various times. Prophets, angels, different things. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. In other words, God has perfectly revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. And right here at the end of Hebrews, it says, See to it that you don't refuse his son. That you don't refuse him who speaks. And what that means is God has offered us a, an understanding of himself. God's spoken to us. He's communicated to us. And he's offered a relationship. Uh, with him, for us, through his son, Jesus. And that relationship that we can have to God through his son is unshakable, absolutely unshakable. If you're in relationship to God through Jesus Christ, that's unshakable. Whether you're sick or whether you're healthy, whether you're in poverty, whether you're wealthy, whether life's good, whether life's bad, even death itself cannot shake that relationship. But there's a warning because there will be a shaking, there will be a judgment. And everything that's not in right relationship with God will fall away in that shaking. But it says of the Christian, the very last verse there, it says, since we are receiving, Christian, since you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that relationship with God that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And so the question is for you today, as we finish our time in the book of Hebrews together, have you found that unshakable life? And how do you know if you've found that unshakable city, that unshakable life? Have you come to God's unshakable city? And just like Alastair, um, I love alliterations. And there are four J's for us today in this passage. They're there. Trust me, I didn't have to make this one up. They're all there. Four J's that will help you to know that you've found the unshakable life. The first is, it has a name, it's Jerusalem. God's city has a name, it's Jerusalem. Secondly, you can know you've found an unshakable city if you're a part of a city that's full of joy, if you've got joy in your life. Thirdly, if God is your judge, if God is your judge, you've found an unshakable city. And fourthly, if Jesus is at the centre, if Jesus is at the centre, four J's. You like that? It's not P's, it's not D's, it's not T's. 
but it's in the text. I love that. It's so good. Number one, it has a name, Jerusalem. You can know you're in an unshakable city. You're building in an unshakable life. You're living in an unshakable house if it has a name. Verse 22 says, You, and this is talking about the Christian, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's really popular these days to not attach yourself too closely um, to a particular association, a club, or even a, a job. We want to kind of be as vague about our lives as possible. For example, a career might be a good way to put it. Somebody won't tell you um, that, I don't know, whatever it is, insert job here, they'll say they're an entrepreneur, you know, or they, they'll say they're in freelance. Even if they're a plumber, they'll say, I'm in freelance, you know, I work for myself. Um, or if, you know, somebody will say, I'm a creative, I'd give myself that title, right? <laughs> we describe ourselves as vaguely as possible, and this is especially true when it comes to our beliefs and our spiritual beliefs. We like, we're happy if, to be put on a spiritual scale, you know, of some sort, and, and somewhere on the spectrum of that spirituality, but we don't want to be challenged by others, and we don't want to offend others. And so we think the safest thing to do is just to be a little bit vague about our spirituality. And we think that's safe. But when it comes to God, the Bible says, that's a building with cracks. I've presided, I've had the privilege to preside over two funerals recently. One of them was really easy, the other one was really hard. One of them was for the late Jim Goldman, our Christian brother. Uh, he used to sit here in this second or third row here. It was a really easy funeral to preside over because despite the grief and the pain of our loss, there was hope. We knew where he was. The other funeral was really hard for me to preside over. And the funeral and the conversations we had afterwards were full of generalizations. You know, he lived a good life, he was a great, he was a nice man, he's in a better place. It felt really unfirm. Indeed, that's shaky ground. But the unshakable city has a name. It's the heavenly Jerusalem, it's Mount Zion, it's the city of the living God. It's been the hope of ages past. Men and women from generations before you and I were here have gone there, have been to this mountain. And it's the kind of mountain that you come across and you see it and you go, ah, that's familiar. I know that. And that's why when you pick up the Old Testament and when you read the stories of people of faith, you go, I, there's familiarity here. I know the God they're talking about. I can talk about him. I know what he's like. He has a name. It's recognizable. The person of the unshakable city is a part of something thousands and thousands of years old. And of course, I'm not talking about Jerusalem in Israel. I'm talking about something much more real than that. The heavenly Jerusalem. A real city with... I'm talking about real faith, real belief, real trust in a real God with real hope. 
You might turn from your Old Testament to your New Testament and you read about the life of Jesus and you go, yeah, this is my God. He has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. And I know it's not always comfortable and sometimes it can be hard to be proud. But Christians are happy to be called Christians. You know, I wonder whether... um, I don't know what your rhetoric is around our church. But do you use the name of St. Stephen's? I go to that church. It's a great church. You know, they've got a great kids club. Did you know we raised $9,000 for that church? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, I've read the Bible. It's great. It'll point you to God. Christianity has a name. Jesus has a name. And you want to point people in that direction. And you know you're in an unshakable city if you know his name. Uh, last night I was at dinner with a friend and I was telling them about this great restaurant that I wanted them to visit. And I told them the name because I wanted them not to go to any old Italian restaurant in the city. I wanted them to find Alberto's Lounge which is a magnificent, indeed, an unshakable Italian restaurant. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying you have to wear Jesus on a T-shirt, but you know you're a part of the heavenly Jerusalem if you know God the way he wants to be known, through the Bible, through Jesus Christ. If you can put a name on your faith. Secondly, it's a city full of joy. It's a city full of joy. Is your life full of joy? Is your life full of joy? Of course, there's a distinction between happiness and joy. Uh, I remember a preacher once kind of put it like this. He said, joy is like a buoy on an ocean. You know, it doesn't matter how high the emotions go or how low um, the situation is. Um, you just can't push the joy out of their lives. The Christian life has an unshakable joy about it. What gives it that unshakable joy? Verse 22, But you've come to Mount Zion, you've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. That's where I get my joy from. Why are they in joyful assembly? Why is there a party in heaven? It's got something to do with the next sentence. You have come, verse 23, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. As you are aware, the author of Hebrews uh, has an expectation on his audience or her audience that they understand the Old Testament. And so what I'm going to do for my next three points is go back to the Old Testament. We're going to look at some Psalms together because I've been reading the Psalms. Um, In fact, I was sharing this story at 8 a.m. I've been reading the Psalms backwards this year, not from the bottom to the top, but from the back of the book to the front of the book, the back of the book to the front of the book. That's the way it works for you, doesn't it? From the back of the book to the front of the book. Why? Because I try and read a Psalm a day, and I found that I'd lose track on where I'm at, especially once you get past 30, you know, because that's the end of the month, so you can't remember what Psalm. So I've read Psalms 1 to 30 like a million times and hadn't read the others that often. So I decided to read it backwards. Great idea. And each psalm, you know, virtually every fifth psalm, I go, this is the best thing I've ever read. Probably because I'd never read it. (laughs) Psalm 87 
just struck me when I read it. I was like, this is glorious. And it broke me, almost emotionally, it broke me. You might want to turn there, Psalm 87. I'll read the whole thing because it's short. I found it overwhelming emotionally. It gave me so much joy. It says this, Psalm 87. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I'll record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Or another translation says, my whole source of joy is in you. Um, what's going on here? Those different names are names of nations, Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Cush. And they're names of people who are not born in Israel, not born in God's holy city. More than that, they're enemies of Israel. They're the opposite of God's people. They're on the outside. And God says... I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia, Tyre and Cush, I will say, this one was born in Zion. They're mine, they belong to me. What's happening here is God is changing the birth records of these people. Their, their birth certificate is being rewritten. They weren't born in Rahab or Babylon or Philistia or Tyre or Cush. They were born in God's home. In other words, they belong here. They're being naturalized. They're becoming citizens of God's city. Isn't that, that's, that's your story. That's my story. The Bible says about us, by nature, we were children of, of wrath, of God's anger on the outside, like everyone else. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead to him, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's Ephesians 2. I imagine some of you know the experience of being a foreigner and finding a permanent residence. And isn't that a blessing and a gift and a joy? I imagine some of you have colleagues um, or, or friends who are asylum seekers or refugees who gained citizenship um, in Australia what, and have a home here. What a great thing. Imagine what it's like for an enemy of a state, somebody who's fighting on the wrong side of the war, at the, uh, wrong, wrong side of the war, at the last minute, they go, ah, oh, forget about it. You weren't from that side. You're on our side. The whole time, you're on our side. That's what God has done for us and that's why there's great joy in the city of Jerusalem. Amen. Isn't that exciting? You have an unshakable citizenship because it's not based on where you were actually born or who you actually are, but it's based on God's grace making you a citizen in heaven. Number three, God is your judge. You know you're a part of God's unshakable city if God is your judge. 
God is betrayed. Verse 23, it continues. It says, you have come to God, the judge of all. I think many of us have difficulty and feel uncomfortable uh, with the idea of God as a judge. We're happy and we're comfortable with God being a tolerant, gracious, loving, caring, gentle, kind, compassionate God. But God as a judge doesn't fit with my contemporary sensibilities. And again, as I've been reading the Psalms backwards, uh, something that stood out to me is the vast amount of Psalms that are crying out to God for his justice, for God to step in to an evil situation or to a, a situation that needs fixing. And the psalmists cry out for God to stand up for the poor and the humble and to lift them out of their position and to the wicked and, and the, the, pr- the proud, for him to put them in their place. God is a judge. Um, and I think it can be very hard for us to relate to. I think like us who live in Willoughby, um, you know, we're at kind of that top echelon of society that is, I think, you know, not as much as others, economic and socially disadvantaged or prejudiced or discriminated against or oppressed or experienced violence or persecution, you know, I don't know, maybe I need to listen more to our stories, but we go to Italian restaurants. I, I go to Italian restaurants, and I wasn't persecuted there. Um, but even for us, there's a common desire for judgment. For, for wrongs to be righted. Whether it's in the workplace, maybe we want to get the pay we deserve. You know, that's a fight for justice. Or whether we want our, um, our, our dispute fairly heard. Or whether we just want our work acknowledged. Somebody to tell us we did a good job. That's judgment. That's, you did a good job. Or in industry, you know, hardly a day goes by where I turn on the radio and I don't hear there's a new royal commission. Because we desire justice to be done. At the ending of um, children's movies, I know I'm going to watch more and more, and I'm really excited because they're my favourite. Children's movies are the best. At the end of Toy Story 3, I'll tell you that because you're all going to go see Toy Story 4. Um, Lotso, the deceptive and evil, strawberry-smelling teddy bear, he pays for his crimes by being stuck to the grill of a garbage truck for the rest of Toy Story eternity. That's how the film ends, on that note. And there's this relief. That strawberry-smelling telly bear, he got what he deserved. You think about Jafar, the power-hungry-eyed to um, the sultan in Aladdin, ends up becoming a genie himself, enslaved in a lamp for eternity, and we breathe a sigh of relief. What about the Lion King? Have I got you all now? (laughs) Scar ends up being tossed off Pride Rock and ends up in the hands of the hyenas who were once his friends, but they, they know the real scar. What can be so disappointing in our world is that we find ourselves in a world where there is injustice, the world's not fair, and where we can be hurt. And what can happen is that when we're hurt, we can become angry and disappointed by being treated unfairly, and that can lead to resentment, and we can harbour bitterness. But the Christian has a solution. The Christian lives in a city, has a life where God is the judge. They know what the psalmist says in Psalm 94, don't turn there, 
But Psalm 94 says, the Lord is a God who avenges. The Lord is a God who judges. It says, does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? The Lord will not reject his people. He will not forsake his his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness and all the upright in heart will follow it. In other words, because the Christian knows that they have a God who sees and hears everything, a God who will one day judge the world, they don't have to get resentful or pay back. And you can be sweet because you don't have to harbour that bitterness. And that's why in verse 14 at the top of our chapter today, chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You don't have to harbour bitterness because as a Christian, you've got God as your judge. And if you're finding yourself being able to pass your bitterness Unto God, then you know you're in an unshakable city. So, thirdly, you know you're in an unshakable city if God is your judge. Fourthly, you know you're in an unshakable city if Jesus is at the centre. Verse 24 of chapter 12 You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The final judgment in the last section of our passage, verses 25 to 29, it talks about an earthquake. Actually, it talks about a, a heaven quake as well. Everything will be shaken. And it talks, it's symbolizing everything that's not in relationship to God, right relationship to God, will one day fall away. In other words, God's ultimate judgment, he'll remove everything not in eternal relationship with him. That's a scary thought, isn't it? One day the heavens and the earth will be shaken. Everything not right with him. That's a scary thought. Unless Jesus is at the center of your life. Uh, Mountains, as you might know, have long been uh, a connotation for a divine experience. And Psalm 15, uh, we get that idea of mountains being these places where we access God from the Bible, a lot of it comes from the Bible. Psalm 15 brings together the mountain and the shaking theme. You could turn there if you want, but I'll read it. Psalm 15 says, Who may live on your holy mountain? Who can live with God? Who gets an unshakable city? And it answers with 12 qualifiers of the kind of person who gets the unshakable city, the holy mountain, who gets to climb that mountain to God. It talks about somebody being blameless, somebody being righteous, somebody who always speaks the truth, um, somebody who utters no slander, somebody who does no wrong to their neighbor, somebody who casts no slur on others, somebody who despises evil but honors the Lord, somebody who keeps an oath, keeps their promises even when it hurts. That's the psalm. It says, someone who doesn't change their mind. Somebody who lends money to the poor without interest. Somebody who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. And it says, whoever does these 12 things will never be shaken. I don't know about you, but I cannot answer, yes, that's me, to those 12 things. Not even one, really. Um, And that means if the earth's going to be shaken, 
I'm, I'm gone with it. But that's not the mountain that you have come to, so to speak. You've come to a new mountain, Mount Zion, the city of the living God. The writer tells us, you've come to, verse 24, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That sounds complex. Come with me. We've got like two more minutes, all right? I promise you. What's, how does Jesus' sprinkled blood speak a better word than the blood of Abel? You might remember Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain, the older, older brother, murdered his brother Abel. His brother Abel was a picture of righteousness, a picture of right relationship with God. And his brother murders him. And God comes to Cain and he says, What have you done? Your brother's blood screams out to me. It, and the idea is his brother's blood is screaming for vengeance. For, like, you can't kill an innocent life and get away with it. But in the new covenant, Jesus, our brother, the, the righteous one, the one who could ascend the hill of the Lord, he's murdered by us. And it says his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's because his blood doesn't cry out for vengeance. God, look what they've done. Take it out on them. It says his blood speaks of forgiveness, a better word than the blood of Abel. And his blood is said to be sprinkled on Christians as a sign of their cleansing, their forgiveness, as a sign that they're right with God, that Jesus' blood, forget what they've done, forgive what they've done. I've paid the price for it. Vengeance has been done, but it's been done on Jesus. And so his blood, instead of speaking out against us, it speaks for us. And if you accept what Jesus have done, has done, and if you, if you put Jesus at the center of your life, if you trust in Jesus when it comes to your relationship with God, then you can ascend the hill of the Lord. So is your life unshakable? And where are you at on your journey to the unshakable city? John Bunyan, in that classic Christian novel written some 350 years ago, Pilgrim's Progress, that Christian allegory, Christian the pilgrim on his way to Mount Zion meets a gentleman walking the other way, and his name's Timorous, an old word, you know, it means to be timid. He meets the timid one, he meets Timorous, and he asks him, why have you turned around? What's going on? And, he, and Timorous answered that they were going to the city of Zion and had got up that difficult place, but, said he, the further we go, the more danger we meet with, wherefore we turned and are going back again. The whole book of Hebrews is written to that person. The person who has started out on the journey towards Zion, but because they experienced, the further they went on, not less difficulty and danger, but more, attempted to turn around and go the other way. There's a warning for us. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us worship God acceptably. Let's be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I want to pray for you this morning. 
whether you've just started out, that you'll take your next step towards the city, the unshakable city. Whether you've been going for a while, that you'll take another step. If you've been tempted to turn back, or if you have turned around, that you'll remember the city of love and forgiveness on offer and get back on the straight and narrow path that is Jesus. Maybe you've heard about God's goodness and love for the first time today. I'm going to pray that you will take a simple step in its direction, in his direction. Let me pray. Let's pray together. Lord, we know one day there will be a shaking and our lives will be tested for leaks, for cracks, for sinking. And we don't want to be found on unfirm ground. We don't want to be found um, shaking and falling away. And so for those pilgrims on the way, for us here today, may we know your name. May we experience the joy it is to have found a place in your kingdom. May we know and look forward to the goodness of your justice. May we look to Jesus, experience the forgiveness that we have in him. And may, we, may our lives be found in the unshakable city. Amen. Amen. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this series on Hebrews. Um, the reason we came to this book was because our mission for the year is that we are sent and as you go, it's difficult and you can feel like our young friend Timorous. Uh, and so we wanted to encourage you and we thought the best way to encourage you um, was to remind you of the one who has sent you, Jesus himself, and the one who gives us his spirit with us on that journey. Um, and so as we've, looked at the, as we've looked at Jesus, the better saviour, the better rest, the better priest, the better deal, the better sacrifice, the better life, the better word, our, our prayer is that you, Christian, have been encouraged on your pilgrimage and that you will continue in your sentness uh, towards that great city. We're going to stand and sing uh, an old song based on... Um, 